0: Spectrum's next. Welcome to Spectrum, the science and technology show on KALX Berkeley a bi-weekly 30-minute program bringing you interviews featuring Bay Area scientists and technologists, as well as a calendar of local events and news. Good afternoon. My name is Brad Swift, and I'm the host of today's show. Our interview is with Maha Haji, a fifth-year mechanical engineering and applied mathematics major at UC Berkeley, who, along with Kimberly Lau, launched the Human Power Gym Project. After conducting a feasibility study... They are attempting to design and prototype an elliptical exercise machine for the UC Berkeley Recreational Sports Facility that will generate electricity rather than consume it. The generated electricity will be put back into the electrical grid. The project began in the summer of 2009. Maha Haji talks about her enthusiasm for the project and the challenges to make it a reality. Maha and I are joined by Rick Karneski for the interview. This interview is pre recorded and edited. Maha, could you please explain the project you're working on currently?
1: Okay. So I'm working on a project titled the Human Power Gym Project. It's part of the Berkeley Energy and Sustainabilities Laboratory in the Mechanical Engineering Department. And the goal of our project is to harness human power from exercise machines currently in the Recreational Sports Facility or the RSF at UC Berkeley. And we're hoping to retrofit 28 elliptical machines to harness human power and send it back to the electric grid and also work an energy education campaign to improve energy literacy among the members of the RSF and people who frequent the facility to give them a better idea of sustainability and energy.
0: How did that idea bubble up for you and the group you're working on this with?
1: So I'm working on this with a graduate student named Kimberly Lau in the mechanical engineering department under Professor Agagino. We came across it separately. She came across the idea when she's working out in the RSF, seeing all these people burning calories and, you know, exercising so much they must be expending a lot of energy and there must be a way to harness that and then I came across the idea because I was reading up about um, there's a project harnessing children's power to pump water up out of the wells in in African villages. They create like a a carousel where kids can play on. And when they spin around the carousel, they're actually pumping water up into a tank. And so I thought, well, if kids run around and harness all this energy, why can't we do something like this in the gyms across the U.S.?
2: And how much power do you
1: expect to be able to generate from all this? (laughs) So unfortunately, it's not a lot of power. Um, The RSF uses on the order of 1.5 million kilowatt hours a year in energy consumption. And by for things like air conditioning, or
2: where does all that go?
1: So, actually, it's not air conditioning, because we live in a Bay Area. We don't actually have air conditioning in the RSF, because it stays relatively cool. It's definitely for heating and air circulation and ventilation. And then a, a good chunk of it goes to lights and actually powering treadmills, believe it or not. So, if we ha- retrofitted 28 elliptical machines, it would... Uh, harness about 10,000 kilowatt hours a year, which is enough to power a small house, but only 1% of what the RSF needs to run its daily use. The treadmills actually account for about 12% of the energy use at the RSF, and not a lot of people know that. So part of our project, we're trying to encourage people to use elliptical machines or other self-powered machines that use less power, but give comparable workouts, according to fitness trainers. And the hopes that maybe they'll switch over to more ellipticals and the treadmills can be replaced in the RSF. Because they actually require, I think, running on a treadmill for about an hour requires as much energy as doing a load of laundry, washing, and drying. How
0: did the project come together in terms of getting it off the ground, funding, all those things?
1: So two years ago, I'm part of the UC LEADS program, which is – I forget what it stands for, but it's it's a type of scholarship program at Berkeley that encourages summer research. So I was funded by them to do a summer research project two years ago. And I contacted Professor Agagino with this idea saying, hey, I'm funded, can I work in your lab with Kimberly? She's really awesome and wants to work on this project. So the UC Leads program funded me for that summer, and they've also funded me to continue re- researching in the fall and of that year, fall 2009. So we researched the feasibility of this and tried to come up with some energy estimates on how much energy we could harness, how much that would cost, what sort of things would need to be in place to continue actually with the retrofits. And we actually published a paper in a conference in uh, spring of 2010 with the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. And after that, we started applying for funds through the Green Initiative Fund, the Sigma Xi um, Research Honor Society, and the Chancellor's Green, the Chancellor's Green Fund, CACS, I believe it's called, the Chancellor's Advisory Committee for Sustainability. And so, with all those three funding resources, we have about a little over seventeen thousand dollars currently to actually go ahead and build these prototypes and get going with the retrofits at the gym.
2: Can you talk about your uh, conference paper anymore? Mm -hmm. So what what was it about?
1: So our conference paper was published in the American Society of Mechanical Engineers Conference on Energy Sustainability in May of 2010. And it just talked about our feasibility study on the RSF, detailing how much power could be harnessed from the RSF, what percentage of power consumption that accounted for, and it also detailed sort of how long it would take to pay back such a system, and it also looked at the life cycle assessment of the system. And life cycle assessment basically means you take into account all the energy required to make the components that you'll be adding to the system and then take a look at how long it would take to pay back the CO2 emissions related to that energy that was put in. So I think we estimated that, unfortunately... It relates to a savings of only $1,000 a year in energy consumption because energy is so cheap out here. But if we made CO2 emissions the metric instead of dollars, the system would pay itself off in like two to three years of CO2 savings if we assume that the energy generated at the RSF no longer needs to be generated by, say, PG&E, and then taking into account how much CO2 is required for those few components that we have to add to each elliptical. So that was a much less bleak outlook.
0: Did you draw on previous attempts to do the same thing?
1: So we re- did a lot of research, and a couple other gyms across the nation have retrofitted elliptical machines specifically to harness human power. And we talked to them, and we talked to – there's a company called ReRev that actually does commercial retrofits, and they approached the RSF also saying that they could do the retrofits before I came onto the project. And we talked to those gyms, and I actually had a chance to visit one of them in or- at Oregon State, and – For some reason, they didn't seem to be completely happy with the setup. For one reason or another, they didn't think it was producing as much energy as they thought. And so based on those interviews I had done with gyms across the nation, we decided to try and come up with our own retrofit. Also, Cal Poly has done a retrofit of their gym facility and are harnessing power from ellipticals in their own method. And the gym users there are really, really excited about it and really enjoy it a lot more than people at Oregon State, for instance. So that's kind of why we're trying to go ahead with doing it ourselves um, based on interviews and research from other gyms. Definitely.
2: And are only the ellipticals being used to generate power?
1: Currently, they're the easiest to tap into because they have an onboard generator that will convert your human power movement into resistance electrical resistance that you feel when you're working out so it's really easy to tap into them just remove the resistance mechanism and instead put in something like an inverter to convert the um, dc power you're generating to ac power that can be used and sent back to the grid
0: with the cal poly success was there any attempt to collaborate with them
1: we did approach them and ask them for collaboration, but I believe they, are, have, they have some sort of patents on their devices now, and it's very proprietary, and so they're, not, they're very hesitant to work with us. And so if we create our own solution, we're hoping to be much more open source about it and sort of spread it around to any universities who want to do this on their own gym because we've had such a hard time contacting other people for help that we want to make sure it's easier for others.
0: You are listening to Spectrum on KALX Berkeley. We are talking with Maha Haji about the Human Power Gym Project, of which she is a founding member. What's been the most challenging aspect of the project?
1: I think definitely recruiting people for the project, because we've seen... So many people come and go last year in our teams. It has been really hard to get anything done. Um, we really need people who are skilled in electronics and mechanical engineering. And unfortunately, I don't have a very big electronics background myself. And since I'm graduating in December, I have a lot of requirements that I need to meet, and I can't give my all to the project as I could two years ago. So it's been really hard to find people who are as motivated or as determined about the project to go ahead and finish it up and follow it through and hand it off. And I, So that's been a big big challenge i think
0: is that something that you want to do Do you you want to recruit people what are you attempting to do in that vein
1: yeah we definitely want to recruit people because it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of minds to prototype one elliptical and then expand it to the entire gym and like i said since i'm graduating in december I definitely want to hand off the project to other people to sort of conduct follow-up research. Like, okay, if we put these ellipticals and generate power, do people actually learn from this? Do the energy literacy rates go up? Do treadmills get used less? There's a whole host of follow-up research that could be done and hasn't been done yet and definitely has uh, the potential of being published and presented around the nation, I think.
2: So are you mostly interested in recruiting other engineers? And um, how would they sign up?
1: So, I'm interested in recu- definitely recruiting um, upperclassmen engineers, but also people who have experience in signage and education, because I know I don't know how best to reach people or get the knowledge disseminated about all the energy sustainability going on in the RSF, and that would definitely be helpful. And if anyone's interested, they can just email rsfenergy at gmail.com. We'd be happy to have them on board. So-
2: Are any of your current efforts documented anywhere, a wiki or? meaning list mm-hmm. or anything like that?
1: So we have uh, a webpage, hpg.berkeley.edu. It needs to be updated for the past couple months, but generally a lot of our documents are there. And um, We also have a B-Space website for all the members of the project, and that's how we communicate for papers that need to be read or budgets that need to be updated and that kind of thing.
2: Do you know if uh, there are sort of commercial efforts in this too? As like commercial gyms? Uh, so besides outside outside universities, I guess.
1: So universities are really unique in that their gym facilities are open for so many hours and frequent so many users. So unfortunately, gyms like 24-Hour Fitness, even though they're open 24 hours, don't see as much throughput of people or patrons that um, university gyms do. So there hasn't been a huge push in at that direction. And I believe there's a handful of them that use at least the re-rev technology. And there's a couple gyms that are like – I think there's one gym in Hong Kong that's – created some type of something called like a human dynamo where four people will bike on this sort of combined system and move their hands at the same time and that will generate a whole lot of power for the gym but aside from that not much that i know of.
0: it seems like a natural for a gym setting is to make it competitive somehow
1: I know both Oregon State and University of Oregon did retrofits and they sort of had a competition, like who can create the most energy. Um, And we hope when we actually retrofit the gym to involve some sort of LCD panel that reads out which elliptical is generating the most energy, you know, compared across the gym and everyone can see, oh no, like I got to beat 12, like my friend's over there or something. High score. Yeah. (laughs) What's
0: been the most unexpected Thing that's happened in the project.
1: So finding an elliptical machine was really hard. <laughs> we originally thought that there was this elliptical machine floating around in Soda Hall on the sixth floor that no one really had, No one really knew who it belonged to, so we thought we'd use that for our project. We had, it took a while to track down who the professor was who had it laying around, and he gladly donated it to our project. And then when we took it apart, we found out that its internal mechanism was completely different than those used at the gym. It was using less electrical resistance, like moder- most ellipticals use, and was using more mechanical resistance, um, something much more like a recumbent bicycle. So we were like, well, if we prototype on this system, it's really not going to be compatible with anything in the gym. So then we had to contact the gym and try and track down an elliptical that way. And luckily, they w- after couple weeks or months, like everything fell together and we finally got it transported. And transporting those big things is also a huge hassle from the RSF all the way down to Echeverry Hall on the north side.
0: On the social outreach part of it, the behavioral aspect of the mm-hmm. project, what's been the challenge there to get that up and running?
1: Um, so we conducted a survey of all the members of the RSF and I believe something like five or six hundred responded, which was great. And they, we posed questions such as, how much energy do you think X, Y, and Z machines use um, to get an idea of how energy literate people are about the machines at the RSF. And so we have a good base of where we think people could have their education, energy education improved. It's just a matter of figuring out the best way to actually do that. So as a mechanical engineering major, unfortunately I haven't had to deal very much with energy education or engineering education. And we could definitely use people on our project who know perhaps more like the psychology of a situation, like definitely some sort of analysis on where people move in the RSF and where's the best place to place these things and how can we make them as interactive as possible to increase awareness, stuff like that.
0: You are listening to Spectrum, On KALX Berkeley, we are talking with Maha Haji about the Human Power Gym Project, of which she is a founding member. Are there any key things that you're learning in in doing this that you might not have learned if you hadn't been involved in this project?
1: Definitely. like In Berkeley Engineering... For the first three, three and a half years of your educational career, it's very theoretical. And this project has given me the advantage of doing something on the side that's much more hands on and applications of my learning at Berkeley. So that's been really awesome. And then working with other people on a project and just knowing how to work in a team is not something that people teach you in class either until you get to the higher level project based classes in engineering. So that's been really great. And uh, working and collaborating with people not only in the mechanical engineering department, But the directors of the RSF to TGIF and other funding agencies and working together to get all that going is like intense. (laughs) I can only imagine what professors have to go through to get grants written and proposals and then get that actually get that money and use it for their projects. It's been kind of like a mini, mini experience of that.
2: How much time do you estimate you've spent working on a project?
1: Well, I've been working on it since summer of 2009, and I work anywhere from five to ten hours a week on it, I think, pretty consistently, with the exception of last summer and this summer because I've been away doing other internships and research projects. But every time I come back to Berkeley, it's like, all right, I've got to get on it, got to get going again.
2: And have your summer internships where you haven't been working on the human power gym been in sort of related fields?
1: Yeah, last summer I got the chance to go to Oregon State University and do uh, an inter- and study on the interaction between wave energy devices and the environment, studying what types of organisms might colonize the environment, because that hadn't really, really been looked at. And then this summer I got the chance to go to MIT and study um, fluid dynamics in the ocean engineering lab there. So starting to get a feel for the field, in, both on the west and the east coast, and getting ideas what professors are doing what. So that's been
0: really great. So for this project, you're probably not going to get completed by the time you graduate. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to hand it off, would you be involved in trying to get additional funding to make that transition happen?
1: Uh, I think at the moment we haven't used much of our funding because we've – had a lot of setbacks in getting ellipticals and getting team members. So depending on the stance of the project in December, we would definitely, depending on if we've used a lot of our funds for prototyping or we're still waiting to get people on board to start prototyping, that would probably influence whether or not we apply for more funding. But I mean, more money is always great (laughs) because right now the funding we have budgeted will only retrofit 14 of the 28 ellipticals. So if we are to, consider doing all 28 we definitely need to look for more funding i'm just sort of hesitant to do it right now because we don't actually have anything prototyped at the moment and no real product to show before we apply for more funding
0: what is it that you like about engineering what drew you to engineering
1: so i actually thought i wanted to be a film major <laughs> for a really long time and then i went to a summer program just for like fun i was like okay i'll get out of the house for a month uh, in mechanical engineering and they had us like take apart a printer, take apart a blender, and like build these little like out of the box robots. You just like screw a few things in together and put a battery. And I think just the whole idea of like building things and taking things apart sort of amazed me. And I was always like really good at puzzles and math, and so I was like, oh, this is like way more fun than making movies. So <laughs> that's sort of what drew me to it.
0: Has your work on this project given you a better sense of how, what you want to do going forward? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. It has encouraged me to look more into alternative forms of energy. That's definitely what I want to do in the future. Unfortunately, it's made me disheartened about human power because going into the project, I thought, oh, yeah, we could just retrofit all the ellipticals and then power the entire gym. We use so much power on a daily basis that that's not feasible. So definitely opens your eyes onto how much power we consume every day. And I think this project has been a great stepping stone into the world of alternative energy. And I hope to study something like ocean energy and ocean energy extraction for graduate studies in school.
0: Thanks very much, Maha, for coming on the show and sharing your experience with us.
1: No problem. This was awesome. Thanks.
0: A regular feature of Spectrum is to mention a few of the science and technology events happening locally over the next few weeks. I am joined for this by Rick Karneski. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m., the California Academy of Sciences in
3: San Francisco's Golden Gate Park hosts Nightlife, a 21-and-over event featuring music, cocktails, and learning. Admission is $12 or $10 for members. In addition to the regular exhibits and planetarium shows, the Cal Academy offers theme-related special events. The theme for October 13th's Nightlife is Design from Nature. The Biomimicry Institute will show off real products inspired by natural forms, such as Green Shield, a low-chemical water-repellent fabric finish inspired by the microscopic texture of leaves, and formaldehyde-free plywood inspired by the adhesive chemistry of intertidal muscles. Current design students will show how they incorporate biomimicry into their projects. Also, enjoy stilt-walking and juggling inspired by Cirque du Soleil's latest nature-themed show, Totem, and catch a screening of the biomimicry documentary, Second Nature. The theme for October 20th Nightlife is the science of voting, a lively roundtable moderated by the Bay Citizen's political writer, Gary Shee, and featuring political aficionados Alex Clemens from SF Usual Suspects, and San Francisco State University's political science professor and outspoken tweeter Jason McDaniel. We'll discuss topics such as ranked choice voting and how it affects the strategies of San Francisco's mayoral candidates. University of San Francisco Professor of American Politics Corey Cook will discuss the science of voting. For more information on nightlife and other events at the California Academy of Sciences, visit their website at www.calacademy.org.
0: The October Science at Cal lecture will be given by Dr. Peggy Helwig and is entitled, Tectonic Time Bombs, Earthquakes Near and Far. She will talk about the earthquakes in Haiti, Chile, New Zealand, Japan, and Virginia, as well as the earthquake hazard from faults in our own backyard. Dr. Helwig is the operations manager of the Berkeley Seismological Laboratory. The lecture is at 11 a.m. on Saturday, October 15th, in the Genetics and Plant Biology Building, Room 100. For more details, visit the website science at scienceatcal.berkeley.com. Dot edu Lawrence Berkeley National Lab
3: is having a free open house on Saturday October 15th you could attend from either 10 a.m. to 12:30 or from 12:30 until 3 p.m. The theme of the show is Cirque de Sciences and the open house will feature exhibits, tours of the advanced light source and guest house performances, hands-on science investigations for children and lectures on supernovas, biofuels, computing, ancient sounds, plasma beams, indoor air pollution, and scientific visualization. There will be food available for purchase. For more information and to register for this event, visit www.lbl.gov/openhouse.
0: The Biosafety Alliance presents a Global Citizens Report on the State of Genetically Modified Organisms: False Promises, Failed Technologies. These reports highlight scientific research and empirical evidence from around the globe, demonstrating how genetically modified seeds and crops have failed to deliver the advertised promises. The speakers will be Dr. Vandana Shiva, philosopher, environmental activist, and ecofeminist; Debbie Barker, International Program Director, Center for Food Safety. Miguel Altieri, Associate Professor of Agroecology at UC Berkeley. This event will happen October thirteenth, two 2011, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the San Francisco War Memorial and Performing Arts Center, 401 Venice Avenue, San Francisco. The event is free and donations are accepted. If you would like to RSVP, go to the website globalstateofgmos.eventbrite.com. There will also be a press conference for the reports at the San Francisco City Hall at noon, October 13th, featuring Dr. Vandana Shiva, elected officials, and other speakers. Now three news stories that caught our attention. Genetically engineered canola growing outside of established cultivation regions across North Dakota. A study published by the online journal Plus One reports that genetically engineered canola, endowed with herbicide resistance, have been found growing outside of established cultivation regions along roadsides across North Dakota. These escaped plants, were found statewide and account for 45% of the total roadside plants sampled. Furthermore, populations were found to persist from year to year and reach thousands of individuals. The authors found that the escaped plants could hybridize with each other to create novel combinations of transgenic traits. The authors argue that their result, more than 10 years after the initial release of genetically engineered canola, raises questions of whether adequate oversight and monitoring protocols are in place in the U.S. to track the environmental impact of biotech products. Berkeley's
3: own Sal Perlmutter is sharing the Nobel Prize in Physics with Adam G. Reese of the John Hopkins University and Brian Schmidt of Australian National University's Mount Stromlo and Siding Spring Observatories. Perlmutter led the Supernova Cosmology Project that, in 1998, became one of the two scientific efforts that are credited with discovering the accelerating expansion of the universe. Reese and Schmidt led the competing supernova search team. Perlmutter is UC Berkeley's 22nd Nobel Medal winner and the ninth winner of the Physics Prize. The discovery of the accelerating expansion has formed theories of the distant future of an ever-expanding universe and has led to the speculation of dark energy that theoretically makes up almost three-quarters of the matter and energy of the universe, but has proven elusive to observe. Perlmutter has recently been working with NASA and the U.S. Department of Energy to build and launch the first space-based observatory designed specifically to understand the nature of dark energy.
0: This news item is also a job opening. NASA to seek applicants for Next Astronaut Candidate Class. In early November... NASA will seek applicants for its next class of astronaut candidates who will support long-duration missions to the International Space Station and future deep space exploration activities. For more information, visit the website astronauts.nasa.gov. A bachelor's degree in engineering, science, or math, and three years of relevant professional experience are required in order to be considered Typically, successful applicants have significant qualifications in engineering or science or extensive experience flying high-performance jet aircraft. After applicant interviews and evaluations, NASA expects to announce the final selections in 2013 and training to begin that August. Additional information about the Astronaut Candidate Program is available by calling the Astronaut Selection Office, at area code 281-483-5907. The music played during the show is written and performed by David Lostana from his album titled Folk and Acoustic. you for listening to spectrum we are happy to hear from listeners if you have comments about the show please send them to us via email our email address is spectrum.kalx at yahoo.com join us in two weeks at this same time